I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is Convo by Design. Today on the show, we are heading back to the West Edge Design Fair from Dallas, Texas, to talk about something on every creative's mind these days. It's what I'm calling the pivot. I started writing about the pivot in the first year of the pandemic. Through my conversations, this constant theme kept emerging, this idea that creatives must continually reinvent themselves to reflect both a working knowledge and fundamental understanding of where the design industry is going from both a technological and preferential perspectives. We continue the conversation with some new voices, and I'm really excited to share this with you. How are you adapting to the design business changes over the past three years? Are you working harder than ever before, checking on delivery dates, specifying and still respecifying due to repricing and discontinuations? Are you wondering how to capture a bigger audience in social media, upgrade your clientele? Are you wondering if this is the right time to scale back, scale up, or merge with another firm? Are you concerned about how inflationary pressures or that threatened recession will become a reality and affect your business? Thought so. And you are not alone. These questions are on the minds of most, if not every, designer working today. Size doesn't matter. Scale does. Is this the time to scale down, to find harmonious home life balance, or scale up to increase revenues while ultimately these are individual decisions, you will hear from designers who have scaled that mountain. Some up, others down. You will learn from those who have experienced and what they've learned from the experience itself. Is it working? Follow along as this distinguished group discusses these issues and others that directly affect the industry, featuring Lori Umansky, Ann Jackson, and moderated by Sarah Malik Barney. Before I get to this episode of the show, I received a special delivery recently, and I am so happy to share this with you in this edition of Book Look, featuring Intersection of Nature and Art, an absolutely glorious book celebrating those very things by James Doyle Design Associates. There are a few different styles for today's design and architecture book. Some seem to be used as promotional piece for the designer or architect, a way to display their work in a weighted volume from which to share detailed ideas, almost like that of a textbook, while others create picture books full of their project images, sans much editorial at all. Then, of course, there are various options between the two extremes. Then there are those who craft and construct their tome with the approach of a romance writer, but weighted and balanced as to demonstrate how the copy could have served as the instructions for what would ultimately become the completed work. This is one of those examples. That narrative is then seen opposite or adjacent the photos. There is enough art and sculpted landscape, which could also be defined as art in the project images of this book, but there is also a great deal of work that looks to be there, not because a landscape designer placed it, but because it just belongs there. That too is the feeling I had going through this monograph. It is complex, yet simple, in the idea that nature and art are inextricably tied, and how the work demonstrates both 
uh, applied with, with equal science and art. But there is also a completeness to the story being told in the work itself. I'll share a secret with you. I am what you call an extroverted introvert. I've known this for a long time, and that is one of the reasons why I think I love design as much as I do. I can appreciate the work and even draw energy from it. Going through a design book like this energizes me, provides me with an opportunity to lose myself in their work and focus focus exclusively on what it is about the inanimate and the living working together without the need for people to activate it. Intersection of nature and art is a journey that takes you from a fun, elaborate treehouse to the concrete exoskeleton that will eventually be a retaining wall. Exquisitely sculpted gardens and to naturescapes that appear to have never been touched by human hands in decades. Yet they all share the same sense of scale, detail, scope, and importance. This book is being shared with you because it belongs in your library. If the things I mentioned are important to you as they are to me. I love books. I love design. And so my love for design books runs deep. And this is a book I can see myself returning to often. And because of that, if you share this passion, I think you will enjoy it as well. James Doyle, Design Associates. Well done. We will get right to the pivot after this. I am so proud of my partnership with Thermosol. They have been presenting partners of Convo by Design for three years, and there's a certain amount of pride that comes with saying that the show is presented by the company that is the absolute best in the world at what they do. Thermosol engineers the most exceptional smart shower products and steam shower systems worldwide for a few reasons. They were the first company to design and patent the technology here in the U.S., dating back to 1958. 1958. Thermosol, a U.S.-based manufacturer in Round Rock, Texas, employs an engineering team that designs, tests, and continuously refines the product. Their quality control team tests every single steam generator before it departs the factory. Not one in 20, not one in 100, every single one. Who else does that? Nobody. I have the pleasure of working with some world-class designers and architects who tell me, and, and you know this, that the idea of luxury has changed, especially when clients want a spa-like bathroom. Steam is mandatory, or it's just not considered a luxury. And if you want to add steam, you have one true option, thermosol. Mitch Altman, the third-generation CEO of this family-owned company of 65 years, continues to innovate the bathroom and shower space through technological marvels such as intelligent showering systems, sound therapy, aromatherapy, technical interfaces, and so much more. Check out all available options at thermosol.com because a bathroom isn't luxury without steam, and there's only one option if you want the finest experience, that's thermosol. Welcome to uh, the panel. We're calling it The Pivot, um, adjusting our strategies. Over the last two years, obviously we know what's happened. We don't need to say the C word. Um, <laughs> take that how you want. Uh, over the last two years, obviously a lot has changed. So we're going to kind of dive into that. I'm going to start by introducing myself. Um, my name is Sarah Malik Barney. I am the founder and principal designer of Band Design in Austin, Texas. We are a high-end residential interior design firm. And 
I guess I moderate uh, panels as I'm moonlighting. Um, and then I'm going to let you guys introduce yourselves because y'all can do it better than I can. And fire it away, Anne. I'm Ann Jackson, um, and my company is Ann Jackson Art. I'm based here in Dallas, Texas, and I've kind of had a very organic path to um, making this uh, my wall covering business. Um, I started out as an artist, but before that, I have ha had an imprintable invitation company, Was worked as a graphic designer, was an art educator, and... Um, decided to focus on my art full time and then slowly that kind of turned into a wall covering company that also has um, textiles and just so that's kind of how it happened. Hello, I'm Laura Umansky. I am CEO and founder of the Laura U Design Collective as well as our new initiative called Design Dash. Um, Laura U Design Collective is a luxury interior design firm. We are headquartered in Houston and have an office in Aspen as well. And then Design Dash is our newest initiative and we are um, offering community, coursework, and connection for the interior design industry. And my hope is we are revolutioning, revolutionizing the interior design industry. I'm really excited to talk more about that, but let's start basics. Anne, over the last two years, how has your business changed? And I know that's broad, but give me the quick and dirty of, of how things have changed for you over the last two years. Um, over the past two years, business really picked up. You know, everyone was staying at home, so they were investing in products, you know, for the home. And um, so I, that, it has been great. So just kind of the pivot is learning how to manage that and what needs to change with the growth and, you know, whether that is technology, um, you know, for me, I'm a really small company, so um, I do a lot of outsourcing and just kind of going in that direction to continue the growth and support kind of what's happening right now. Were you outsourcing a lot before, prior to the pandemic? That's a good question. Um, yes, yes, a little, yeah, I was. Just um, helping with samples, um, this is a sample business, and you know if the samples aren't in the hands of the interior designers, you know it's not getting picked. Um, just you know basic office stuff, and um, yes. So. so, obviously, we've all seen some crazy changes over the last two years, and it has gotten busy and wild and kind of hair on fire. Has it slowed down a little bit for you recently? Right now, no, but I am, um, you know, kind of watching that, um, making sure like estimates are still coming in, how are the numbers doing, but right now it's still, it's the same. Yeah. Laura, tell me about your business over the last two years and the uh, craziness that has ensued. Yes, so we went absolutely bonkers, I think, just like the rest of the industry, which was completely unforeseen by me, I had no idea, because in March of 2020, I was thinking, oh my God, what are we going to do? And, um, and then it went the complete opposite direction. So yay for us. Um, but yes, it was a lot of figuring out how to manage through growth, um, as well as the logistical nightmare of ordering and shipping and getting everything. And then also just messaging to our clients, 
when and why this was happening when we didn't even know ourselves. So um, yes, we saw really great growth during the the C word because during COVID, <laughs> um, just like the rest of the industry. So yeah, I, I count ourselves really lucky in that. Um, we had also just launched a new uh, service offer, offering. In January of 2020, we uh, hired a creative director to launch architectural services. So it's a brand new service line for us because I, we had focused entirely on interiors until then. Um, and luckily, she is a rainmaker, not luckily by design, she is a rainmaker. And so she had already ramped up enough business between January and March that really carried that line through the entire pandemic. Yeah, for us as a design firm, it was pretty crazy because at the beginning of 2020, we were overcommitted for the year already, and I was terrified. How are we going to get this done? And it was a little bit of a, a relief in March because we got a little bit of breathing room to catch up. I did not anticipate what was coming next either, and being in Austin, I did not know that every corporation on earth was going to move their headquarters there and change our housing market overnight. So it was very much hair on fire. Are you feeling it? level off a little or slow down a little? No, I mean, I think like Anne, we're still knock on wood chair frame. Um, <laughs> we're still very busy um, and we are hiring and I, I have seen, I, I am anticipating that yes, next year is going to be a little slower, but that just means we approach our marketing and business development a little differently than we have in the last two years. I feel and, like it kind of has to. Yeah. It has to. We, we can't go at this pace forever. No. Like, we're going to die no. at our desks. Well, yes, and everyone that we employ will quit. So. Yeah. <laughs> As I've seen, yes. <laughs> the yeah, great resignation. The is great resignation. The quiet quitting is the new one. Do you hate that term as much as me? Um, I just hate the um, activity of the idea around it. It's horrible. And it's happened to me and my firm, and it is... It's yeah. The I hope you're not putting up America. with it. Yeah. Um, okay, but let's talk a little bit in terms of the growth. You kind of, you guys kind of touched on this both. It has been the probably one of the biggest pains from the pandemic is supply and the increase in ordering, but then also the complete failure of the supply chain system, which I never thought I would learn so much about. Talk to me, Anne, a little bit about how it has affected your business, has it affected your business, and in what ways, and is it improving? Um, so my product, all my products are made in the USA, and it's print to order. So I have not had any issues with the supply yes. chain. <laughs> but where I am seeing it happen is um, I can't get anything photographed because projects aren't ready to be photographed because they're waiting for that last one thing. And whenever that does happen, I always let um, the interior designer post first and or we'll go into a collaboration to where we hire a photographer together. So that is where I'm seeing it. I know it's happening. I hear, you know, from talking to all the interior designers, yeah. you know, the headaches you're hearing, feeling. But um, so I'm definitely seeing it in that regard. Yeah, we definitely used to tell clients, you know, on average, you're going to anticipate about six months for your project. Now it's at least a year. Mm -hmm. um, and it is waiting on that last one piece that is the bane of our existence. We photograph without it usually. We're just like, we're just going to make this happen. But it, it does make a lot of sense. It's like the great lag. Mm -hmm. Everything is lagging six months later now. Yeah. I, to me, what's been alarming is, especially in the upholstery industry, some of the upholsters we had used 
for years, we would take four to eight weeks to get a sofa. We're quoting 40 to 45 weeks. You can make a baby in that time. Right. The fact that you can't make a sofa is pretty crazy. It is crazy. Like, and it's, it's, uh, it's not getting better. No. Like, they're not writing to us and saying, oh, by the way, we're back to six weeks. No. Because <laughs> they know better. Yes. <laughs> they don't want to overpromise. Right. So. so talk to me about how it's affected you guys and, and how you communicate that to clients. I know from our perspective what was really hard at first is people did not understand it. And you kind of touched on that a little bit, but then when they couldn't get their favorite shoes or a t-shirt either, they started to understand it a little bit more. Yes. And I think at the beginning of the pandemic, um, I will say we were really bad about messaging what was going on because really we didn't know. And we were also just holding out hope. Um, We also don't like to, so we're full service luxury interiors and we don't ever like to burden our clients with the behind the scenes. They don't need to know that something came in broken and we had to have it replaced um, or that something is pushing out and we're on the phone every day with our rep trying to get it. Uh, We don't like to tell them those things. And so it was very much a balance at the beginning of how much do we share and how much do we just do on the back end and and not tell them about. And we found, through pain because we would not tell the client and then something didn't materialize and then we have to mea culpa and I'm so sorry, we should have told them ahead of time. And so then our communication methods became completely different. Um, Very transparent about this is gonna show up, this just isn't. This may take a year, we don't know. Do you wanna reselect? Um, And so it just became very much more transparent in communication. So did you guys change your process with clients in terms of the communication? Yes, we did. Um, We're much more open and itemized about what will be there um, or what we're having issues with. Before, that would never happen. We would just say the project is on track. We're looking really good for XYZ date for installation. Yay for everyone. It's going to be beautiful. And now it's very much like we're on track for first installation this is what we anticipate will be their color-coded floor plan so they understand exactly things can change. It's just much more um, fluid and they get more behind the scenes, I think, into the logistics. And I think that's probably something that's changed for you guys too that definitely changed for us is we used to do one big installation and now we have seven installations. Right, seven, exactly. So, yeah, it's been a total pain (laughs) trying to figure out like logistically how that all works. Mm -hmm. There's been a big learning curve. So, So on the flip side of that, with the growth, let's talk about scale. I know there are a lot of designers who decided to pull back during COVID and kind of going through they kind of had an awakening. I want to spend more time with my family and I'm going to get rid of my team and I'm just going to be a solo designer. And then others who have done the opposite. I mean, we've almost tripled in size since COVID. So um, talk to me a little bit about y'all's companies and how they've grown and changed or have they cut back. What what has been sort of the recipe for success? I'll let you go first, Dan. So mine kind of has stayed the same. Um, It you know, with, as far as the outsourcing and ma- doing more of that, that's kind of how I've adjusted to that. But just being in this community and talking to interior designers, I feel like everyone is hiring and it's just growing and robust. And I haven't seen, I don't, no one that I've talked to has decided to scale back and, you know, go smaller. It's, they're just growing. Yeah. So. Can I ask a question? Yes. 
so when you say you're outsourcing, what roles specifically do you outsource and how do you, how do you trust that your process will be handled properly by an outsourced employee? Right. So Sorry, I'm hijacking no, this. That's okay. Go for it. <laughs> so for outsourcing, like I, it's just bookkeeping, accounting, taxes. Um, I have help with marketing. Um, then um, samples, like just, I used to do all of that myself. And I do about, I, what I do now is about half. So I'll have them um, the way they're, so instead of printing it on a yard, like it's sold by the yard, instead of just having rolls printed, they'll print individual samples, selections of what part of the design I want to see um, out there. Because you, if you think about a roll of wallpaper, if you cut it up into three different parts, you're gonna see a different part of each design. So instead of wasting the yardage, I have it cut to where each piece looks the same. And then um, I, and this kind of goes depending on um, how much I'm launching at a time, but sometimes I'll even have the backs printed with a company. And then sometimes I'll do that myself. So, but when I'm dealing with customers, they're always dealing directly with me. And then I'm sending the samples out myself, but I'm not doing as much, like in the beginning of the business, I was like, cutting in them, doing all of that. and that So you're able to delegate some of yes. that stuff off your plate. So I guess that's what I mean um, when I talk about outsourcing. Okay, that makes sense. Real quick, on that sample, sample piece of it, I'm fascinated by that because we get so many samples and I'm like, it doesn't even look like what we're going to get, you know. So for that service specifically, is it more expensive and does that translate into the cost of the product? So, um, yes, yes, it's more expensive. Yes. <laughs> I assumed. Um, so, I have um, a background in graphic design, so I will take um, the design, put them into Photoshop, put it in a, in like a setting so that on the back of the sample you can see exactly what it looks like. Um, and I print mine in color, which a lot of people don't do, but I print it, or some people do, but I print it in color and then, um, Yes, so that it is more expensive. But um, I but exact, worth it. Yeah, well, and I feel like, <laughs> yeah. you know, you want to see a good, like, on the front, you see this is what the color is, this is what it, the paper actually looks like. And then I have a disclaimer on the back that says, refer to the front for color. And then, but you can see the entire paper in a room. And then I think that helps sell it. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've been in a client presentation and we're showing them a paper and they say, can you find me a picture of it in a room? And we pull out and we're Googling just the name of it, trying to find something. And we're like, well, it'll kind of look like this, you know? So and it's it, helpful. And it's hard to sell. I, I, the wallpaper orders are huge orders. So it's hard to sell an item that expensive when you're looking at an eight by 10 piece of paper. So um, another thing that I'm doing just kind of to help with that is um, I'm in the middle of a redesign of our website and another thing I've outsourced, so. <laughs> well, that, um, you kind of have to. Yeah, <laughs> well, I built it the first time myself and it's, I've outgrown it, so um, it, but that is a good place to where it helps educate, you know, the interior designer and an easy place to find images when you are in those meetings and you get those questions. So just to be more user-friendly 
and um, make it easier for us to sell. Yes. 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 I mean, I think that kind of goes across the board in the design industry, especially over the last two years. If we can make it easier, especially digitally easier, it'll sell it so much faster. Um, Laura, talk to me a little bit about your scale and growth and change and and your scale business. Yes. I'm so excited. So scale. Um, I I started it with just me 15 years ago. I was a solopreneur. I had my, I actually opened up a little shop in Houston. Um, that was a big deal, and, but it was still just me, so I'm running the shop. And then I had a small little room in the back where I did my design. Um, and then within three months, it started getting busy, and so I hired my sister, which was a horrible mistake. Um, and she worked for me for five years. We're friends now. We weren't for a while. Um, so the two of us, back in 2007, and now we're 25. And so 25 people, I had quarters in Houston. Um, and like I said, disciplines from architecture to interior design. We have in-house marketing, accounting. So we don't do a lot of outsourcing. We're really different in that regard. Um, we do outsource like rendering. We don't have someone on staff that's doing rendering all the time. So we're a fairly large residential firm. We're 100% residential. Um, but for going from just me to 25, there was a lot of scaling up, which we kind of talked about. I would scale to seven people and then freak out and kind of reel it back. And then I would scale up again to 12 and freak out again and reel it back. And it was because I didn't have the right processes. I didn't have anything documented. It was kind of like, I'm super busy. Can you start tomorrow? Great. Here's your project. Bye. Hair on fire. Hair on fire. I'm going to go over here and do this. I'm sure you're going to be okay. Talk to me if you're not or don't. Um, And so sink or swim. And so now that we're in the last five years, I've really learned to create our processes, document them like crazy, make them really accessible to everyone in the firm. We have really um, clear hiring and onboarding processes as well that get everyone really geared up. Technology is huge. You mentioned that earlier. So those platforms that we use are integral to everything, to being able um, to us being able to scale up. And so, yeah, now we're, um, I mean, it's never perfect, but we're learning. We're always tweaking, but we do have that foundation in place that lets us hire and scale up without freaking out and like having to make sweeping changes all the time. I could talk about this for hours because it is like, (laughs) we talk about in the office a lot for your process document, who is the owner of that document? Who updates it? It depends on the process. The, the entire team owns it. So it, is, it does not live and die with one person. Um, I think that is a terrible way to do it because if it lived with us, it would never be done. 100%. I would never do it. And I have these great intentions and these big plans. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, I never got to that. Um, and so it really has been created over time and it's lived with the whole team. So for example, a senior interior designer, we have three senior interior designers. Each one is gonna own this part of documenting X, Y, and Z process. We're gonna come together over the next quarter, check milestones, make sure it's getting developed, and then we're gonna put it all together and there it is. So really it just depends on the department and the process who owns it, but it's everyone's involved. Who's delegating that? Responsibility. Um, we delegate together as a team. So we have weekly team meetings. So we ha- that's another really important thing for growth is that cadence of your meeting and keeping it. 
there's no choice. We're meeting on this day every week for an hour and a half. Um, and we do it in every single department. So for example, marketing has their, their own meeting once a week um, and they work on it together. These are our goals for the quarter. One person owns each goal because that way someone's accountable for making that happen. Um, but really it's not just one person saying like, you do this and you do that. We all come to the table with ideas. We decide what's most important and then we decide who's doing it. You are listening to The Pivot from the West Edge Design Fair. We'll be right back. We are living in a time of incredible growth, both technologically and creatively, with respect to interior design, exterior design, and architecture. There is no question. There are companies thinking differently about the business of design and how to make products super serve those for whom they're being made. One of those companies, and one of my favorites, is Moya Living designer and fabricators of some of the most stunningly beautiful, incredibly durable, and highly functional kitchen, bath, and outdoor kitchen cabinetry on the market today. Powder-coated steel with stunning lines, vibrant colors to fit any design style or aesthetic. A history of designing cabinetry for the scientific community. So you know it's been tested in some of the truly the most harsh conditions available. Moya O'Neill is the CEO and founder of Moya Living. She's the inspiration behind the design. Designers, their specification process is so simple. It will make your job so much easier. Check them out online through the socials at Moya Living, their website, moyaliving.com, and in the real world, their live kitchen showroom in Fountain Valley, California. Yeah, because that's the one thing I've learned is if one person's not responsible for something, no then no one is. Nope. And we struggled with that for a bit where multiple people were in charge of something and it never got done because, well, no, you do it. No, you do it. Like, there's no way to really uphold that. So talk to me about the growth over the last two years and how you've seen Because from my experience, I said we almost tripled in size, but we also lost a ton of people. There was a lot of turnover and it wasn't because it was a bad place to work. Same. We've had a lot of turnover too. Um, I think we've also, for our firm, we've entered in a new phase of our growth. Um, And there were people that were with me for 10 years that just weren't in the mindset to go over into this new phase. They were working for the firm we used to be, not the firm we were going to be. And so it was a right time to change for them and for us. Um, But over the last couple of years, I think, I mean, we've grown, probably added about five people in the last two years. A lot of that has to do with launching the architectural service, Um, but it's really across the board. We hired a, a dedicated admin HR person. We've never had that before. But once you get to 20 plus people, you need someone dealing with HR because it was me and I'm terrible at HR. Same. Just like, why are you so upset right now? Like, I don't understand. (laughs) (laughs) I'm empathetic to a point and then I just need to go away. Um, So we do have an HR person now and um, an additional person in marketing. And so it's just those departments have grown as well. Yeah. But yeah. And so talk to me about the scale business that you have. So it's not specifically scale. It's okay. more about the business of design generally. And for people that have established a design firm, maybe you're a couple people, maybe you're 10, and you're ready to go to that next phase. Um, I don't know about you, but when I was in design school or architecture school, there is no talk about business at all. No. Nothing. 
So you're no. coming out of school and you're learning on your own. You're really just like, unless you were a business major and even then, I don't know. But you came out and you're like, okay, I'm going to hang up my sign and I'm going to have a business now. <laughs> and you really have no idea what that means. Yes. Um, and so I've been doing this for 15 years. And I now know what that means because I've made all those mistakes and I've gotten a lot of things right. And so that's really what the new initiative Design Dash is. It's just sharing that knowledge that I've gathered for 15 years just to share with other designers, like, this is how we did it, and this is what worked. Um, yeah, so they don't have to go through 15 years of trial and error. <laughs> is, it, is it documents that you share, or what, how is it? It's, it's, gonna, it's workshops. Okay. So we're going to have live workshops. Um, ultimately, yes, it will be um, contracts and documents and things that we can share, but it's brand new, so... Yeah. I'm one of those people that wants everything all the time, right now. Same. And it's going to take a while to develop. So <laughs> it's in development. <laughs> I totally get that. Um, uh, my background, I skipped over it, but design is a second career for me. I actually didn't go. I did go to design school later in life, but I did not do traditional design school. And so my background is in business. Good So for I you. came with that foundation. And I think that's why we were successful from the outset. We had pro I understood putting process in place. So many designers do not. Every designer no. I work for or that works for me has like, I never have experienced this in a business before, which is mind-boggling to me. It is. It's mind-boggling how many people go out on their own just on like a, I don't know, some sort of entrepreneurial. But are they profitable? I don't know. They can be. Can is a big word. They, well, <laughs> and that's why I think I can help them or someone like you with a business background. Yeah. I have figured out over time how to be profitable yeah, with scale and also get freedom too, which is huge because you end up just being your, like your business becomes a burden at some point where you're just working, working, working into what end so you can work more, you know, so and it doesn't have to be like that. So I think like the point I've gotten to is that I have the freedom, I can take a vacation, I can spend time with my family and business doesn't stop and it doesn't have to. And yeah. I think that's that's what Design Dash is about, is helping business owners get to that point. I did find it really interesting, once I started hiring people right out of design school, how little they trained them for the real world. And I'm they speaking a blanket statement. I'm not saying every program is the same. But they don't take business classes. No. They're trained to work in commercial for the most part, which is fine. Um, they don't know up from down. They've learned CAD. Like, you couldn't believe. But beyond that... It's kind of wild how they don't really set them up for that success out in the real world. I think that's a big opportunity for I universities totally. and design programs. Maybe we need to start a campaign. Should we start a university? <laughs> I think we did. Should we start just start yeah, one right now. <laughs> you heard it first here. <laughs> Let's workshop nope. the name after this. Can we this. please not do that? <laughs> <laughs> no, I can't add another thing to my plate. Right. So but yes, it is, it's a. I think there is a huge gap in what you're being taught in school. And you said you have a graphic design background. It's probably right. similar. Oh. I'm making assumptions. Yeah. All right. Well, so I started. It was a studio art. Yeah, that's I have my undergrad is studio okay. art too, and, and I have designers who are studio art as right. well. Yeah. And then I worked at an advertising agency and then did that. But I mean, it's art school is the same way. I mean, they didn't teach you anything in school at all. Um, I am taking interior design classes on the side, not because I want to do it, but just because I'm interested in that topic. And you want to know what we don't know? 
No, <laughs> no. But um, one of the designs I did um, that's a new one is a mural, and they're just, I got so many questions along the way, and I am at the beginning of this business. I you know always said you know talk to your hanger, consult with your hanger, like. There, that's who's going to tell you how much to order. I didn't want to get involved, but just by having some of these new designs, like I have had to get more involved and I wanted to know a little more. So I'm kind of just taking what I find interesting. But I can tell you right now, like they're not teaching that. Like they, there's no business class or how to, you know, run a business on your own. And my advice, because sometimes I'll have people reach out, not about graphic interior design, but just like, how did you do what you did and I said well you need to do it. go get a job and work for someone else and see how they what run a their wild business. idea and that is yeah, not what they want to hear at all but they just want to start doing it immediately without um, ever working with someone I met with someone last week and that's that was like I, I just said you and she wanted to do something specific I said you need to I know somebody hiring. Call them, and um, I don't. I'm not sure she did, but <laughs> I think I that just, makes so much sense. Like this, uh, this idea of being an apprentice, go do it, and, and learning. Yes. Right? yes, I mean that is a topic in itself because. I don't, I hate being the old lady to pigeonhole and say the young people of today, but it is very true in the sense that I said we had a lot of turnover. I mean, all of those people were sub 25 and they didn't have jobs that they went to when they left. And then they were unemployed and then they started their own businesses. And I just thought, God on speak. what basis? You, you know, a design assistant who's never seen a project from start to finish is going to go start their own design firm at 23 years old is wild to me. Now, on that same note, I was 36 when I started my firm and I had never done a project in my life. But I had some business backing to sort of at least lean on. So it is, it is wild to hear. I mean, it's true across the board. So I, I find solace that I'm not alone. No, you're not alone. I mean, <laughs> I started my firm when I was 29. And I had worked for two other designers, um, and I felt like even then I was completely unprepared for what it really entailed. But yeah, you can't teach a fish about fire. No. Like they, they're gonna figure <laughs> it out. You know, they're gonna have to. They're gonna dive in. They're gonna be like, oh my god, this is what she was talking about. This is what they meant. I guess what's funny to me is growing up in business is like you found those mentors and you, you worked your tail off because that's what you had to do and I don't know why that's that is sort of gone. I still ask questions all the time to people that I used to work with and yeah. like has this ever happened to you how do you deal with it? And if I didn't have that experience I don't know who I would be asking. Yeah. I mean I, the people who have left my firm to go start their own thing they leave and they say you're just such a badass businesswoman. But they don't call me and ask for business advice. And I think well if you really maybe think they do that, you're just not answering. Nope, I always answer. That, I always respond to an email. I always no, answer a phone call. Yeah, yeah. Sure. yeah. So, um, Laura, tell me a little bit about in your process documentation because this is where I'm most fascinated. How does it address employees, employee management? That's got to be the biggest bane of my existence. Is I love my team, but managing them it, it gives me gray hairs. Yes. Um, People are wonderful and terrible. So growing your firm, is we're services. So we don't have a product. Well, you have a product. Brilliant. 
kudos. Um, <laughs> but as a service business, interior designers, we're people. Um, and so, yes, those people processes... Now we have an HR, like a dedicated HR person, but again, we solve a lot of it with um, technology. So we use certain systems for benefits and payroll and time tracking, utilization rates, and all of those things feed into that. Um, But it's also, so I'm CEO of the company, so it's also about sharing the vision and constantly repeating myself over and over, which I hate doing, because I'm like, they have got to be sick of hearing this. Mm -hmm. They're not. They half the time look at me like they've never heard it before. (laughs) And so I think it's just the getting into that rhythm of letting the entire company know what to expect. So from onboarding to day to day, they know who their teams are. I'm not managing everyone. No one in the firm has more than five direct reports. That's That's the highest number. Um, and so it's very much like a, it's a management system, just like any other business. So um, we have an executive team. Our design team has a, has two directors and then the senior designers, and then they have assistants. So there's redundancy there, too. So if someone does take vacation, the project doesn't stop moving. Um, but as far as HR, we're just lucky to have, like, we call her our office mom, and she is the absolute best. Susie is amazing, and she just runs it and keeps us in check. So what's the secret sauce to keeping employees happy? I have no idea. Oh, man. <laughs> I thought you were going to give it to me right now. No, so, <laughs> I'm so excited. Because um, so I tried it all. <laughs> actually, it's like for us, it's been flexibility. So we're hybrid. We, we're not in the studio together all day, every day. And that's one big thing that came out of COVID is that we were already kind of going that direction. All of our systems are cloud-based. So we can work from anywhere. Um, usually the team is in the office like, a couple days a week for everybody and then they have the ability to work from home because again we're we're mostly women and a lot of us have families and kids so you need that flexibility I think that's been the biggest um, we also have open PTO so we're not just on you like oh you've accumulated 2.75 days we're just take what you need and make sure you're balancing it with your workload and your team yeah, we do yeah. the same. It's Unli- an adult unlimited. culture. Yeah, yeah. We just, we're very adult. I don't want we're to not, babysit. No, we're yeah. not going to treat anyone like a subhuman machine. Yeah. Like, we're all humans. So, um, backing up a bit, going back to the original topic of this panel, which is the pivot and how we've changed over the last two years. And talk to me a little bit about how you've positioned your business out in the world and has that changed, whether it be through marketing, social media, um, even... From a networking standpoint, do you do it differently? And if you do, has it? how has that occurred? So when I um, made my first collection, I got a lot of great advice from my manufacturer. Right now I have three manufacturers, but the I have one main one, and they kind of, I mean, led me to this. Um, but one thing they said is you need to be in showrooms. So I went out and I just cold called in showrooms and I got in about, I got some yeses and I got some no's. And then um, the biggest one that I'm in now, Bradley and ADAC, um, they were at first a no and then they came back and, you know, said, yes, we want you. And that has been my most successful showroom. So I would say just like to get my product out in the world, that has been really helpful. Um, I'll also say, um, I really like working directly with interior designers and, you know, answering their questions and 
kind of getting to know their projects more. So 50% of my orders are through showrooms and 50% are direct orders from interior designers. So the biggest avenue that I had for getting my stuff out there, I kind of started, my social media started in 2013 and back then, like all you had to do is post pretty pictures and you know, you would get in a magazine or you know, it was very different than it is now. Um, so kind of that grew and it's grown slowly, but it's kind of loyal. It's a loyal following. So that has been the biggest way. And by that, I mean, Instagram. Um, so kind of that's how it's been. What about you, Laura? As far as pivoting in the last couple of years is, and how I'm networking. Oh man, networking's hard. Um, and I don't do it like I should, you know. I, I'm just starting to get back out to markets, which is huge for me. Um, as far as with clients, we just we have very intentional touch points with our existing client base and our past. Um, we're sending them gifts and we're keeping in touch. Um, but it is hard to get in. It has been hard to get in front of that new client base. But yeah, you have your loyal clients and, and we have too. I think most of our new clients, we I think when we're tracking it, about 30% are coming from marketing, like direct marketing um, through Instagram or our newsletter or whatever those things are. So digital has been huge. Um, have you seen that change over the last two years, growing more in one direction or another? From your pipeline source? You know, we've really only begun tracking that data closely over the last couple of years, so I don't know that I have an answer to that. Um, no, I, I think it's probably about right, we, but we're really intense about our, our social media. Um, we don't do a lot of print advertising. We sprinkle it in here and there, um, but for the most part, it's social media and Instagram, Facebook a little bit. Apparently, we have to now be on TikTok, which we are. No, I can't you don't. do it. No, <laughs> I'm not doing you don't. it. No, we're doing it. I'm telling you. I know. You. We've done it too. So, how's it going? What's... I have no idea. I have nothing to do with that. <laughs> do you know how to log in? <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I have my own TikTok that I don't know how to use either. So. Same. I only do it to track my children. <laughs> right. yeah, I don't have to do that yet. Thank yes. God, but yeah. So um, Instagram is big for us. And then just really keeping in touch and just being intentional about talking to our current clients. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it has been wild in the last couple of years and kind of seeing where, cause we've been tracking leads and where they came from since day one. And, um, it has changed dramatically in the last two years to be more social media driven and less so. And actually, especially in my marketplace in Austin, with everybody moving there, we get so many leads from Google because they're typing in interior designer Austin because they don't know anybody in the city. And we get that a lot of that too. And we have a huge focus on our SEO, which you probably Same. do too. And so we, um, we're really good about our blog and keyword research and we put a big emphasis on SEO. So yes. Do you do SEO in-house? Um, my husband is in SEO. Oh, so lucky. Yeah, kind of. Lucky. <laughs> that was the first um, 
investment I made in my business was hiring an SEO company that focused mm -hmm. on interior design. So yes. um, I understand I mean, the importance really of it. That's really how you stand out against your competition. It's the it only is. way, in my opinion. Yep, I it mean, is. it's paid for itself 10,000 times over. Yep. And I'll I've tell brought my husband the, you said that. He'll be thrilled. I brought them more business than they could handle, and <laughs> I, I want a better deal, but that's fine. Um, <laughs> So yeah, I mean, it has been interesting to see the way that it's changed and the way that it's grown. And um, and for us, it's, it's, it is starting to level a little bit, which is, I, I like that personally, because I, I couldn't, I was going to die if I just kept going and going and going. Um, so talk to me, I know, I, I want to touch on this, even though it doesn't really have to do with pivoting, although it kind of does. We talked about the great resignation and the quiet quitting. What have you guys seen is the best way to handle, because there are some great young employees out there, but the youth of America <laughs> and their, their desire to not work, to keep them motivated. I, I mean, that's where I really struggle because yes, we have unlimited paid time off and we have every benefit under the sun, but to keep them motivated and want to be there, people aren't staying at jobs the way they used to how do you build that sort of loyalty? So I think loyalty, I, I don't know about that, um, but I will say it starts for us in our hiring process and we're really clear about our core values. And so we are huge on proactive problem solving and being um, accountable and self-motivated. And if you are none of those things, then we're not a fit for you. Do you do tests for those or is it just no, based on the interview process? No, we don't, but we, it's not tests per se, but we'll, we have a pretty uh, rigorous interview process. Everyone that is coming on board is gonna interview three times with different people in the firm. And we're all saying the same thing, proactive problem solving, we're lifelong learners, you need to have self-motivation and accountability, and we explain what those things are. Um, and we have made some bad hires that just weren't a good fit. But for the most part, if you are with our firm, you are not a quiet quitter. Like, it's just not gonna work with the rest of the team because it's not just like management that's like, you go do this, it's the entire team. Like they expect if you are on this team that you are holding up your end because they are. And so I think it's more of that culture. It's, yep. it's ingrained in the culture more than um, just individuals. But not to say that we haven't had those individuals, but they phase out, they, they phase out. Yeah, yeah. How about you, Anne? Have you seen from the youth of America? <laughs> well, I have two youth of America of my own. So yeah, yes, I have. Um, but one thing I, just from taking some of the classes I was talking about, I mean, there are good people out there and um, just, I just think they're hard to find. So I guess the, you know, the question is how do you find them and how, like when you're saying, when you're interviewing them, like how do you sift through and kind of get like, what's really down there? I know what you're telling me right now, but what, what is really, what are you really gonna be like in here? And I don't, I don't I don't know. think there's a trick. No. I, there's no trick. I, I don't know the answer either. Yeah. I, but I do think that 
because we're making someone interview three times, mm-hmm. they're going to be exhausted with that. Yeah, and I they're going to stick, good. and it sucks. Like, it's a hard process. And I even tell them, like, I know this is not an easy process. But if they're going to stick it out, usually by that third interview, they're showing who they are. That first one, they're buttoned up and they're ready to go, and you're going to hear everything that you want to hear. They're going to tell you what you want to hear. By the second one, they loosen up a little bit. By the third one, it's that's what you're going to get for the most part. And did, that's why we go through that. But did you find when it was definitely like the peak hair on fire tea time where we're growing, we, you know, it was so hard to we hire had, people yes. because they were interviewing everywhere yes. and they, they were not available the next week. And that that's true. Yes. We lost some good hires because of that. And also because our process is longer. And so they're gone because they're not going to wait for that third interview. So you didn't amend that. No. Okay. We didn't. And we did lose some good hires because of it. Um, but although we do try to keep it at a pretty good clip. So even if it's three interviews, we're trying to do it within 10 days, maybe. So we keep it, try to keep it fast. Um, but we have made some wrong fit hires. Wrong fit for them, wrong fit for us. And we can make that decision pretty quickly once they've been there. Um, because we have check-ins at certain milestones. And we can tell. Like, if it's not a good fit, we can tell pretty early. Yeah. I, um, the biggest thing I hire on is culture fit um, because I think you're either a good designer or you're not. I'm not going to train that. You either have an eye or you don't. And any software program you can learn. It's better if you're good at them, and that saves me a lot of time. But if you're going to get along with us, then it's a whole different ballgame because we spend a lot of time together. We are in the studio all day, every day. We have been back in the studio all day, every day since August of 2020. I mean, I can't work from home. I cannot do it. So um, it is very important to have that culture fit. We do a lot of personality assessments in our hiring process. We do, too. So we do a personality assessment. Um, But honestly, our entire group is all over the board with that personality assessment. So it really just depends. But there are some like outliers that you're like, okay, we should have looked at that and been like, that's probably not good. (laughs) Um, But yeah, we do use that. We use, it's called BIRDS. Birds? Birds. Okay. That's a new one. I'll have to add that. Yes. We send several. It's basically it's basically. <laughs> I love to put people in a box yes. so I can understand yes. them. It'll it help helps. me. Well, it helps you communicate as well. And yes. I think that's what birds is. It helps you understand, oh, that's where that person's coming from. Under, got it. Interesting. Um, yeah, but culture fit is huge because you can't train attitude. No. You can't train that willingness to work. Um, yeah. Yeah. Anything else, you're like, I can, you can go take a CAD class. Exactly. But I can't train you to be cool. Nope. Yeah. Nice. Nope. <laughs> like, just be nice. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So in, in wrapping up, any last parting thoughts that would be helpful in the pivot, in the change? And, and what do you guys see going forward? Like, what do you think the next two years is going to be like? We're kind of coming out of a fog. It's, it's never going back. Is it going to change more? Is it going to be just the word everyone likes to say, the new normal? What, like, what, what, do, what are your predictions, Anne? Well, I think people right now are just watching what's going to happen with the economy. So I think that's the biggest thing. And knowing like when that happened, you know, just watching your numbers, watching your orders for me, watching you know, your estimations, are they still coming in? And just knowing um, you know, kind of where that's going, paying attention to what's happening out there, listening to people in other industries and seeing what they're seeing. Um, so I, we have a lot of people in our family in commercial real estate, so I'm hearing like projections for the next two years. So 
I'm kind of listening to what that a little saying? bit. What are they saying? Just that we're, you know, it's gonna be yeah, okay. Just, yeah, it's gonna be okay. But it's it, gonna be next okay. Two years, or you just need to. <laughs> I'm like, tell me, uh, it'll be fine. Yeah, I think yes. the only prediction I have is that nothing stays the same. Um, and I think in our industry too, and with your with the people in your firm, there are so many people that like that stability and want to know what happens next. And unfortunately, we can't tell them. Like, I don't know. Right. But yes, you keep yeah. your ear so, to the ground. Yeah, I just happen? think it's good to pay attention. So like with me, I mean, I'm still launching new designs and I'm still growing and um, and I'll keep going. One thing I'm doing is not having a whole big launch come out, but I'm going to have designs just keep rolling out and rolling out and rolling out to always have something new. Um, that way, there's always new content and there's always new what's new, there'll always be something new. Smart. Um, but, you know, I just think that there's going to be a little bit of a leveling out, but I don't think it's anything that's going to, like, make me change my decision-making or, or where I'm headed. Yeah. So. I agree. I think, um, but like you said, leveling out is probably for the best. Because right. Because we have been insane for We couldn't keep years. going at the same pace. No. It and just our, our teams can't, like, everyone's burning out. Yeah. We've got to level out. But when that happens, we have to also really watch our expenses um, because of the last two years, it's, like you said, hair on fire. And we've just been throwing money at it. Like, let's make this happen. Make that happen. Doesn't matter. Do it, do it, do it. Now, I think if we do level out, stay the course, but we probably need to tighten up on expenses. Yeah. Um, thank you guys so much. Thank you. In closing... How can people find you? Oh, okay. Um, LauraU.com and DesignDash.com. Those are nice. my two websites. You can find anyone that way. Awesome. And uh, my website is AnnJacksonArt.com, and it's up and running, but a new platform will be coming <laughs> very soon. Oh, awesome. congrats. That's fun. Um, and you can find my firm. Uh, we are at Join the Band. Everything is at Join the Band. So. Thank you, ladies. Thank you. Design Hardware's newly remodeled showroom is where you will find a gallery-style space with a thoughtful display of products purposefully positioned to allow unbridled exploration and discovery. High-end faucets, luxury tile, natural stone, wood floors, and bespoke hardware selections are presented in a holistic manner, strategically arranged to stimulate creativity and transition your vision from the conceptual stage to a fully realized space. Conveniently located, free parking available, stop by to find your inspiration, collect samples, get expert advice, and tackle everything on your shopping list all in one place. Visit them online at designhardware.com or in the real world, 6053 West 3rd Street in Los Angeles. Thank you, Sarah, for grabbing the mic and taking this conversation on. Thank you, Anne and Laura, for your insight and expertise. The podcast, now in our 10th year, was created for those in the design industry, as well as those who simply love interior design, architecture, the arts, and want the insider's perspective. Thank you, Thermosol, Moya Living, and Design Hardware for your partnership and support of the show. Thank you for listening and subscribing to Convo by Design. Keep those emails coming. I do love hearing your thoughts about the show, ways to provide new ideas, and those guest submissions. Love those. Until next week, be well, and take today first. Mm-hmm.